supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, people. Right there, we will be a regular, other regular panelists will be back in a subsequent week. He is currently abroad. We're missing him, but I think looking... I think we'll have him next week. Yes, we will. That's right. So we're looking forward to having him back. But if I'm wrong there, we can give a correction next week, and we have a correction now. Last week, reviewing The Invisible Man, we said that it was the second film directed by Lee Winnell, and his first film was Upgrade. Somehow, we forgot his debut directorial feature, Insidious Three. That's right. Yes. Uh, thanks to listener Sean from Melbourne for putting that out, and we have. So, and also Invisible Man, the biggest film at the US box office. It's yeah, look, it was well marketed, um, and the reviews are really good. Yeah, it's Simple as that. A good film, it's a good film, a good yeah. take on a, on a classic concept. I love that, in very, the- and very timely. So, it's definitely one that's going to get a lot of media attention as a result. Yes, uh, forty nine million dollars as of yesterday, over seven million dollar budget. Each of the three days of the US release, it recouped its entire budget. So, a good for Winona. The, the Bloomhouse model works. It works. Bring back mid-budget movies, by the way, guys. Please do, and we will review them. Uh, we actually are reviewing some mid-budget films this week. In Fabric's first up, the new Peter Strickland. Actually, I would say In Fabric is probably a quite a low-budget film that's just made very well on that budget to look mid-budget. With a few quite big stars in it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, we'll also be talking Dark Waters, the new Mark Ruffalo film, which is in cinemas tomorrow. Sonic, briefly, which is out now. And turning to what we had hyperlinks and um, the festival has concluded, and our hope for that sort of format and the amazing fit weekend that was going forward. And on the more serious subject, the Im- coronavirus, which has been headlining news justifiably all over the world, and the impact on film and festivals and what we may come to expect in the coming months. But first up, we're talking In Fabric, the new film from Duke of Burgundy director Peter Strickland. It premiered at the Sydney Film Festival and is in cinemas from March 12th. It is starring Gwendolyn Christie and Marie Marianne John Baptiste from Without a Trace. And it is about a dress. A dress, a very foreboding dress, which is picked up by consumers in a department store and well, how should we say? It's cursed. It has it it does not it is bear. a ghost dress. It doesn't bear well for the wearer um so yeah it's had a few premieres at festivals around the country it is out now it sounds like a horror film but there's actually overwhelming comedic elements to it although the horror aspects i thought were better executed than the majority of horror films i've seen in the past couple of years i think this film manages to be really funny and really scary um the, the comedy definitely has a very british tv kind of flavor to it like mighty boosh esque that kind of absurdism would you agree? Or League of Gentlemen? Something. It's it's kind of in in that vein. There's a sequence, my favorite in the film, involving a washing machine, which is extremely Mighty Boosh-esque, where it's not entirely meant to look realistic, and it's supposed to connote ideations but, of horror and comedy. But that scene you bring up is also very, very tense. Oh, yeah. And yeah. accepting, I think, the blood in that scene was overly fake and noticeably fake i wish it hadn't been so it did it was so well staged in a relatively realistic environment and then escalated from there but i like the staging of the sequence involving the washing machine to give you a bit more of a sense of how this film plays out if you haven't seen the marketing uh he's going back to that 70s giallo um, dario argento-esque um vibe I remember Peter Strickland actually saying, I don't know why people are comparing this to Suspiria, but for me, the Suspiria um, homages, whether they were consciously intended or not, were pretty pretty strong at some points. There's this department store 
with very symmetrical kind of production design presided over by witches behind the scenes. I, I noticed that analogous, however, I defer to him on this, and I agree simply that the the comparison is more of a Jew given the overacting of a few performers and people who are just so over the top and so fun and the tight framing on exceptional performers lending credence and tension to a scene that otherwise wouldn't be there. And there are many films that do this. Um, Suspiria is one of the most prominent. But this film is very 70s and it's very focused on dresses. And those are the things... Great fashion in this the film, fashion by the way. Fan- yeah, you're right, it is. Yes, the dress is nice. Um, it is great. But yeah, that focus on frilly femininity is another thing that kind of calls to mind Suspiria. But in any case, it's this very 70s, very feminine. Um, I think the aesthetic is actually um, better developed here than it was in Duke of Burgundy, which similarly was going for a creepy but also gothic, frilly, feminine kind of design sense. Um, The design of this film is amazing. I love how over the top the acting is and how everything is coming together for this really heightened sensation. You have to give it to Gwendolyn Christie in a role that... Uh, people won't be so familiar with her. With she, you don't re- you won't recognize so her funny. immediately. She's great. It's very distinct from Brienne of Tarth and the other roles for which she is most well known. Same as the the guy who runs the store. This very like count like Dracula esque like ego. This guy could have been a mid season villain. Had a mid season villain arc in Buffy. He has D- that yes. glare and he just comes out of nowhere. And is, uh, it's very Vincent Price esque. And yeah. I will. This is my realm, and <laughs> I shall reign over this dominion. Yes, and yes, w- yes. Without going more, ha ha. Yeah, he managed to sell it. But um, what I really like about this film is the mix of elements and tones. As I said before, it can be funny as well as scary. Um, but it can also be sad. I find that you actually, especially in the first half of the film, um, come to feel some empathy for the characters, which in such a absurd uh, world that it's such an unreal, over-the-top premise as this, that's not an easy thing to achieve. I actually, I liked the first half, but the reasons you referred to earlier in terms of how well handled the horror, I actually preferred the second half. Really? The, the sense of foreboding, now that we'd established what this this group and this dress were, to say, capable of, and it is noticeably longer than a traditional horror film. I it's could, about two hours this film. It could have been a fair bit shorter, but I appreciated the, how the tension was sustained throughout the second half, particularly where the dress is used at the second half in an unorthodox manner. I'm really surprised to hear you say that because I did enjoy the second half. I, I, it is the more comedy-oriented of the two halves, I would say, and I agree that the tension and the forebodings there. But I think if, for that second half to really work... Um, for as long as it plays out in this film, it would have been better served if the opening segment was just a brief Scream-esque kind of prologue. Um, I, I think as it is with the the structure of the film, it's just too much and too long and, and too repetitive by the, the two-hour point. Um, my preferred version of this film would have been the first half taking priority um, because I think that one is more nuanced and layered. It has the more realistic and likable characters. The second one goes for a way more extreme kind of um, absurdity in the comedy, I would say, than the first half. In that, like, the main character is a, is a bit of the second half. I found it a little bit too over the top and a little bit too much of a, a comedy kind of um, fool, I guess. I, where, I, yeah. I didn't find... I, do, I agree that the characters in the first half are more likable. However, I found that in, in each half there are two sets of three characters. And I don't think 
the ones in the second half were any less realistic. I've certainly met people oh, of this vein in uh, uh, many avenues it, it's, of life. It's satire of the sorts of people who do really exist, but it's very blunt satire. But more than that, I feel that the dynamic in the first half is something that people are overly intri- and are very intrinsically familiar with, whereas the second half, it presented a relationship which isn't as common and dynamic, which most people won't be so familiar with. Therefore, I engaged a little bit more. It, the first, we'll talk about the characters in the first half and the opening sequences where it's um, the mother by Baptiste and her son and their relationship with a young woman who is dating the son. Um, and that's the sort of thing I've seen in horror films and here and there. It is more familiar, but it, it's pulled off, I think, with a, a warmth um, and a believability here where you actually do want the mother to find a nice man on these ridiculous dates she keeps going oh, to. Oh, that's and... a whole separate... And, oh, that that felt... That was really realistic yeah, where he... um, there's the date she's so excited for and then the person is just non-responsive and awful. But obviously there's much yeah. more at play here than a typical date. Even if this is more familiar, I just feel like it felt more lived in. Um, but it, it, it was certainly developed more. I, I would was, just say that yeah. it's a circ- the second half is a circumstance that I was certainly familiar with. Therefore, I engaged with it because I found it more curious. Right. Um, I I don't want to take too much away from the second half. I still really enjoyed it. And I like the first half very much. Yeah. Um, I just think this format would probably be better served if we weren't watching both of these stories in one go. Maybe if this was an, an anthology TV show about the dress with six episodes. To go back to that British TV comparison. Oh, they could have... It easily could have gone. They, they, they could have shortened both of these and had three episodes. Yeah, or have been fine. Or ideally lengthened and created added more detail and texture to them. I think the first half. Yes, I preferred it, but I think the first half would lend itself more to that because I think it's less broad stroke, so it feels like it could could be made extended longer. Whereas the other one works best in a kind of punchy format. This, this is what we haven't referred to the uh, penultimate scene, which goes for a wholly distinct tone. And uh, much more frenetic. Yes. And by that point, the film had built up to it and something that was relatively strained became much more overwhelming. And I liked that. I liked the final sequences. I did find the ending. I mean, I enjoyed them on paper, but after two hours, I found them a little bit of a foregone conclusion. Like there was no other way this kind of story was going to end. And I, I wish it had gone further. No, you could have cut. I hate, I, hate, I hate saying the classics, but you could have cut 20, 30 minutes from this. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. But I think it's worth seeing. Oh, look, I, I think it's actually really good. I think it's the best Peter... I haven't seen his first film, Catalan Varga, but I think it's the best film Peter Strickland's made so far. It doesn't make too many. Duke of Burgundy was, what, four years ago? Well, he really... I saw a talk from Peter Strickland, and he actually really struggles to find financing these right. days. Um, he When he was giving this talk, he was in a bit of a bad mood because money had just fallen apart for a film. He He was in Australia only because his newest project had just fallen through. And so it's like, okay, I can accept your invitation to come out and do a, do a MIF tour. But um, apparently that happens for him often. So oh, hopefully this film does well enough internationally uh, that he gets another chance. I heard it bombed in the UK. So Australian audiences, go out and do your bit next week when In Fabric is released. From March 12th. March 12th. Yeah. So that is In Fabric in cinemas from March 12th. And in cinemas from tomorrow is the new Mark Ruffalo film, Dark Waters. Yes, this is directed by Todd Haynes um, with Uncarol. Yes, but this is, uh, I guess, more along the lines of Carol um, than many of his earlier films. It's quite restrained direction. He's been moving more and more in in terms of um, his form to a, a kind of conservative place. And in this way, many ways, this plays out as a pretty standard legal thriller. 
uh, but it's an amazing story. It's about a lawyer called Robert Billet, who's played by Ruffalo, who discovers, thanks to a family connection to a farmer in West Virginia, um, chemical... Uh, how, how should I put this? Chemical pollution of the environment from runoff from a toxic waste dump, basically. Uh, waste that isn't acknowledged by the government or by the corporation responsible to point to be in any way toxic, hazardous to human life. Um, it's a pretty amazing true story of heroism versus psychopathy, basically. Heroism in, in the guise of one incredibly self-sacrificing and tenacious lawyer and psychopathy in the guise of a mega corporation putting profit first and steadfastly denying any wrongdoing. And it's about the lengths that they need to be pushed in order to, uh, basically in order for any kind of justice to be done. Um, the problem for me with this film is that the script is really bad. It's incredibly on the nose. Um, there are some really clunker lines to illustrate just how bad these people are um, or just how paranoid Mark Ruffalo is becoming. It's all a little bit too heightened and movie-ish for what I think should be quite a kind of naturalistic story. The story itself is explosive enough. It doesn't need this really kind of like jumped up movie style. And the conversations always feel kind of stilted and designed to build towards the point they're making. There's never any kind of natural feeling to them. Um, Anne Hathaway is in here playing Billet's wife and her character... I don't think ever seems like a real person. She's always just there to make a point to him or to others. I really others am sick treated. of movie wives just being there to throw stuff off the main protagonist and throw ideas and be a sounding board. That's exactly what she is. It's okay. just like... And Anne Hathaway, God. And I she's mean, such a good actor, right? She's, she's, great, she's great in everything. She's so wasted here. I assume she went in because it's a noble story and she wants to put her talents towards letting it be told to people. But I just thought, man, she could do better. I just wish we dived more into the world of these characters. So the big question I was left with um, the whole way through, actually, is what is driving Billet to take on this incredibly heavy load and sacrifice so much of his life and his health? Um, it, because it's clearly not just about the money to him. He's clearly on this on some kind of moral level. So I'm thinking beyond just be, that he's a great person, you know, why is he a great person? Why, why is he doing that? Um, I don't think the film has to spell that out and maybe it's part of the design of it to have us questioning why this person would do this and, and whether we would be willing to go that far for other people's well-being. Um, but I think it's just maybe a sign that the characters don't feel real enough that I'm maybe not sensing what it is that's driving him onward. I don't know. At the end of the day, I still would recommend the film in spite of this huge quibble of a quite poor script because the story is so good. It it has a huge kind of sweep to it by the end. Um, it is pretty frightening what it reveals about corporate irresponsibility. And um, I think more people ought to know about what happened here. So you're on Film Fight Club with Glenn Fowling and Chris Evans. Um, I haven't seen this. I'm looking forward to seeing it. My concern going in was 
Mark Ruffalo, I know how much of a vocal activist he is in real life. I remember a scene in a movie I rewatched recently and I still adore Spotlight where he has that emotional speech. It could have been any one of us. And it sound, that moment, it didn't come off as a movie moment for me in Spotlight because it was introduced to the story. It was that one emotional outburst, which I believe would have happened multiple times in the context of this journalism practice. However, it seems that it's much more endemic in this movie. I would say so. Um, towards the end, you're willing to forgive it more as you get swept up in the story. But for the, about the first half of it, whenever these big movie speechy moments came out, it was just like, oh, really? We're done. Yeah. We're, we're done. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that, that is in cinemas tomorrow. The next film we're talking about is in cinemas now. Um, not a great story compared to this. It is Sonic the Hedgehog. I say Sonic the Hedgehog because that is the actual title. It is based on the popular Sega game and stars Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik, James Marsden, and Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec voices Sonic. Now, I have to give a caveat here. I didn't grow up with the attachment to Sonic that a lot of my compatriots did. I had a Nintendo. You were a Nintendo guy, I'm, but it's I still, funny. I still am. I still got For my some Nintendo. reason, you seem like a Sega guy. Even though you're like the biggest Nintendo guy, I went to. I remember Sega World at Darling Harbor growing up, and I always wanted to go in there. But we never did. Oh I, man, I went there towards the end, right before it closed. That's right. Yeah, that, that big that big cube. Yeah, with like the blue triangle on top of the red cube. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I've played Sonic, but I'm a Wario Mario guy. I don't care. A Wario um, guy. Wario Wario Three Wario. is still the best <laughs> Game Boy game after Tetris and Pokemon Yellow. No argument here. Now this movie. I wonder who it's for. Is it for the people? Link's Awakening. Okay, anyway. What is this movie? (laughs) That's another. That's another story. story. Who is this movie for? Okay, it's pitched as a kid's film, but kids who are 10 and under or 10 or 12 won't have the attachment to Sonic, period. Their parents, people of our age, uh, maybe they will, but again, it's pitched to kids. Are they supposed to take their kids? But then Aladdin... Again, Aladdin was very clear. It's a nostalgic element. It's for that audience, but it's just for the, the the kids, the people who saw it back in 1991. Well, it's like The Lion King, right? Or any of these live-action Disney remakes. I think companies are hedging on the thing of who makes the decisions about what their kids will see. The parents. So if you you appeal to the parents' sense of nostalgia around their own childhood while making a movie that basically current kids will enjoy, cha-ching! But there's nothing in the direction or storytelling here that really recommends it to either market. There's been a lot of discussion and publicity about the terrible CGI. Um, it has improved. Um, as Chris pointed out to me off air, the production company behind it went bankrupt because of the reshoots and that what they had to do to get it to a passable stage. It's not bad. It's simply that the direction, Marsden, he's interacting with a cartoon character for the entire film and it becomes distracting and it becomes repetitive and it just doesn't have the dynamic intrinsic to, to humans interacting at any time. The best thing, the only really good thing far and above the, about this film is 90s Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. He's finally back. He's back. He's Ace Ventura. He's hilarious in everything. He's a bigger cartoon than Sonic in any other cartoon in this. There's hilarious puns. There's a great scene uh, reminiscent of Zoolander where he asks his assistant, says, do you want a latte? And he screams at him, yes, I love the way you make them. And it's just, there's such a cognitive dissonance in so much of the stuff he says. Um, any scene where he's there is fun. I would have just watched compilation clips of Jim Carrey rather than the film itself Sonic is what do you think about the plot for a moment it doesn't make sense he got, the whole thing is about a road trip however he has these rings that he can use to transport anywhere and even if he doesn't use them he can run across the eastern seaboard within a few minutes it's, it's Sonic are the rings just like 
things story devices because in the game the rings are just like floating things in midair so what are the ring are they just like rings scattered around they can basically go between it's stargate they can they're stargates they can basically go between realms and it starts with this other bit of lore which not attached to any other sonic property where this is owl on the sonic planet who sacrifices itself so sonic can escape to superman it's basically superman it's basically joel that is weird in the form of that's not what i associate with sonic but yeah, they, they, they want to go for a Sonic universe here. Um, certainly they hint at... It does that annoying thing of hinting at more interesting characters who we know from... Even I know from the game. And why just hint at them? Bring them into the but, story. But you've got to sell people on the sequel somehow. Oh yeah, there, there will be a sequel to this. I, I won't say look forward to it. Uh, There's just a lot of... You know, Sonic, he's just that quippy, hyperactive... We've seen it so many times before. There's nothing novel about this film except for the joy of casting Jim Carrey. There was a review I read on the internet which said that the movie's entirely made up of things you recognize from famous bits of pop culture from the 80s and 90s to now, um, and except Jim Carrey's really good, and that's the only standout thing. Sounds like you're mirroring that exact criticism. It's an 80s movie in how it is staged, how things move along. Notably, the main character, James Marsden, there's a concern that he becomes an he's an international terrorist, but he can basically move around the US. This is something that people forgave more in the context of 80s cinema. People could be more of the grid, which technology was less an advent. But this is a film stuck in its style, in its storytelling, um, in the way the characters communicate entirely in the 80s and 90s. There is one hilarious scene which takes place in a bar where... Um, in the middle of a knockdown drag out brawl and Sonic jumps around and moves around and changes everything and gets um, and wins the day. I saw this already in Days of Future Past and it was done much better there. So why am I watching it here? It was basically a parody of the scene where they break out of the JF, of, uh, the, of the Pentagon. Well, th- this one has a blue hedgehog, so that makes it better. Yeah, no, I wish. So Sonic the Hedgehog is in cinemas now. Um, thank you, Osa Felix Hubble, a couple of weeks ago for his very bite-sized review. I fully agree with um, every observation felix made so speaking of felix hubble yes uh, he and connor bateman successfully ran the hyperlinks festival which we did some interviews on um i me and glenn tried to sorry which we did that interview with felix on a couple of weeks back yep um what did we think of the festival it was really good i went for the friday night and the saturday i saw the opening night film uh the Asaius's classic demon lover from 2002 and saw a, a couple of screenings including a one co-badge for film and revolt on which was a documentary on slender man it took place at the pink flamingo what was distinct about this was the films itself which are very much focused internet culture were um complemented by talks and events afterwards where the um, felix connor the others involved very open in terms of how they constituted the festival and it was a reflexive festival more than most, which really delved into, particularly for people who are up-and-coming filmmakers, how um, film, how video essays, and how non-traditional types of cinema can be constituted. Yeah, I think Pink Flamingo is a brilliant location for it, having that bar right there and a nice intimate um, environment with the right amount of seats and you don't f- usually um, feel like you're too far from the screen despite it being a fairly kind of small environment. You can wander around it's, and just talk between screenings. Yeah, it's, it's in the a, middle of Marrickville. It's nice. It's a much better venue than, um, and don't, don't get me wrong, I love this place, Golden Age, as far as the actual watching the films are concerned, I would say. Golden Age is great for... Uh, Golden Age is great. And it I like great, the yeah. setup there. Um, great food, great for dates, um, yeah. but it's a very different environment for a very different... 
um, crowd and yeah. type of cinema. Not exclusively. You can screen similar things of both. And certainly uh, people involved in hyperlinks are active. At, at, That's right. At vice versa. But um, it is a different environment. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah. The festival, I think... It was great as a community event. The films, as you might expect for a, a early festival where people who usually do one or two screenings a month are suddenly doing 13 films, I think they were they were kind of up and down. All of them had something to recommend about them. Um, I, I don't, with the, maybe one exception or one and a half exceptions, I don't think I ever saw any truly bad films there. I thought the short films were great. I, thought, I liked all the short films I saw, and which accompanied every screening. Yeah, the short films are fantastic. Um, the installation work they showed idol i found really interesting to actually watch in in a cinema environment just weird trippy lights and sound and bizarre anime sci-fi trappings i actually that's the kind of thing that if not for this festival i would definitely not have seen and i actually really enjoyed being given that opportunity some of the other films there they seem to be works from up-and-coming directors in the sense that they haven't fully found their voice yet i think a lot of a common theme for these films was whether this is literally built into the premise or not, um, it felt like people had a concept for the film, but they didn't quite have the actual events happen along the way in the process of filming it. But we sort of saw that anyway. Um, I'm, I'm talking about films like L.A. Tea Time and Leave the Bus Through the Broken Window, which both kind of had um, moments of interesting transparency from the author, but also f- felt like they needed a little more time in the oven to really fill out the the runtime because I had lost interest in that kind of personal diary anecdote style by the very end. Searching Ava was a film with a really interesting subject, but I felt like the filmmakers were out of their depth in covering this kind of sex worker who seems quite self-destructive towards the end. And I felt like the filmmakers didn't quite know how to come to grips with that or how best to present that. They didn't have a strong enough angle. Um, I really liked the video essay, Lyncher History, uh, which I thought had interesting YouTube-style editing. That was a very uh, contemporary vibe, and it, it was a good kind of overview at subtle underlying racism in the media, and sometimes not so subtle in the United States. You, what did you think of the Slenderman video essay film? I enjoyed that it was entirely constituted of um, clips and essays and accounts from various authors from various youtube channels and dealt into dealt quite deeply into internet mythology of it i appreciated that unlike a lot of these sorts of films it was uh, it was linear in its approach i think there were some many segments that were just random bits of um and more and more it was some bits were just entertaining they're supposed to be like perk you up and say oh this is this random commentators view on slender man those weren't as engaging simply because they weren't as informative didn't delve into what is a has become and is and always remained a very serious subject so i enjoyed the bits that were a little more meaty in that regard and some i feel you could have just as well cut out the other flick i caught was car which dealt with um catfishing and persons who attempt to extort money from predominantly American internet users. Uh, this is something which, it was an 80-minute film, roughly. I enjoyed the clips, I enjoyed the internet access we got. However, it was one of those where it simply could just could have been shorter. I learned what I needed to learn within a 40-50 minute mark. I could have seen it as constituted as a short film, it was much leaner. Um, 80 minutes, it was, a bit of a, it was a bit of a stretch at that. Yeah, again, as I was saying, these are films where I think the directors need a bit more time to develop just to have enough ideas to fill a feature length. But all of these films, I think, had something interesting or unusual about them to recommend them. Mm-hmm. I think they, they still stood out to me, despite most of the time not quite being there. 
And they, I mean, they, they did so well off the screening of Long Day's Journey earlier in the year that they were able to do this. Obviously, they've done well at this festival, and they are going to do another theme. S- yeah, theme with festival. a different theme. I'm really keen Which for is- that. I thought the way they organized it was great. I thought, the, again, I thought the films were interesting. I'd definitely be up for something more of this and we'll let you know on Film Fight Club if anything more comes which we, I'm sure it will we will and you can go check them out at staticvision.com and on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter um, importantly while there are a lot of festivals that have very broad themes in terms of the creative direction there isn't a festival in Australia which changes the whole thematic direction subsequently so this is distinct and it's new and it's exciting Um, now we have a couple of minutes left we're going to go into the podcast on this too talking about the impact of coronavirus on well certainly i think the first local festival to postpone has happened the international chinese film festival was postponed from march till july in sydney and there's discussion about some of the major festivals around the world will khan run um yesterday there was the first reported incident of the coronavirus not just in france but in Cannes, it's very hard for me to imagine that there's actually going to be a festival. And if there's no Cannes festival, that's going to have a huge impact on the film scene, not just in terms of art house movies not having a big launching pad that gets them pretty much all of their publicity, um, but also in terms of the international market, which is the biggest film market in the world. Thinking about just this impact on, on the film economy uh, makes me think about the impact on the world economy when you multiply this happening to this one industry we've talked about i mean the olympics are one of the major i uh, can't see the olympics yeah oh glenn, um, glenn's sorry. got the coronavirus oh so that was entirely no <laughs> oh, God, no uh, every I time promise. every time someone sneezes now i'm saying you know the, the gallows humor is coming out ha ha coronavirus i was at a lecture the other week with i a don't think chinese, the coronavirus is funny by the way uh, the chinese academic who was here and wasn't able to go back and she sneezed and said oh, it's definitely coronavirus the entire room just erupted it was great right and we're running out of time so do stay tuned for the podcast or subscribe on itunes spotify we'll be talking about these subjects more Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin on 2SCR. Let us know what you want us to follow. We'll be back next week with the Varat Nehru. This has been Glenn Falkenstein and Chris Emmons on Film Fight Club. Stay safe. Have a wonderful evening or whenever and wherever you're listening. Enjoy movies. Bye-bye. Good night. And good night. Welcome back to the Film Fight Club podcast, where we are talking all things, a more serious subject than we're traditionally used to covering, which is the coronavirus talks about khan i heard the world archery championships any number of things are yeah. um, having to be potentially postponed i should say on khan it's we not are speculating we are speculating it's nothing is definite um the in, the rumors i'm hearing are that khan at this moment do not want to postpone it's more a question of whether they'll run the festival or cancel yeah, it's the matter of and i think sydney festivals will have to deal with this too whether people will either whether they will be advised by the government adverse to large gatherings or with people will simply not be comfortable going to public areas yeah. where they've access well, to a lot of other people who in the in the context well yeah should, should say are exposed to a lot of other people yeah when it comes to khan first and foremost it's international and so you're going to have you'd have tons of people coming in from italy for example whether it's rampant um you have people coming in from literally everywhere because of the market and, and because of the world press festivals in iran in seoul yeah that that that, that won't be happening yeah. um I, my feeling is that the Cannes Film Festival will be cancelled. I think, like knowing that the virus is spreading in the in the French Riviera as we speak, and the French situation is exploding at the moment with more and more cases every day being reported, um, it's hard to imagine that in two months' time, especially because 
Um, the festival's two and a half months away, but and people... Venice is only a month after that in July. Oh, end of July, early early August, I think. Actually, so actually, I think I think Venice is late August, so I think Venice could still go ahead, just because we're talking six months out. But even if the virus is under control by May, I think it's it's more a case that people are going to be have to be making final choices about accommodation right now, and no one wants to be having to do that when it feels up in the air. But it's more than that. Studios, and, and this will impact potentially the Sydney Film Festival and many more, um, but it's, it's more the, the fact that a lot of studios and a lot of distributors will not want an imminent release for their film when they are not assured that their people will turn out for it. Yeah, um, two points from what you just said there uh, came to mind on the subject of the Sydney Film Festival you know that big gathering around the time of Vivid as well yeah Vivid and Sydney Film Fest um, lots of people out in public and I've heard people saying okay maybe the coronavirus will be under control once the summer season hits in you know June July Um, for for us in Australia obviously that is the height of flu season I like to get a flu shot before Sydney Film Festival. Um, it's a time when I historically have caught really bad colds or the flu. Um, so it definitely is a risk spot for this kind of infectious yeah. disease. We want to be clear. Uh, we are speculating. And, at and this I'm not point, saying don't um, come to Sydney Film yes, Fest. Sydney Film Fest is we going love Sydney Film Fest. as of June 3rd. And the fact is that... Um, the, everyone is still excited for it everyone's still not, not every, everything is still all engines go the question is and more broadly for cinemas in general will people want to turn out to these big rooms full of a hundred people full of a thousand people if we're talking some of the biggest screens at sydney film yeah, fest which is affecting any number of other public events all across the world vivid yeah vivid's in the same situation the the crunch for vivid on saturday night where you've you've you definitely oh, got yeah. lots of people breathing in your face if you get from one yeah. side of the harbor to the other and we had to see if united now united cinemas going to be part of sydney film festival other festivals that's definitely a question i i think everyone should go ahead with business as usual um and until we're certainly, told otherwise and it's certainly government advice and there are there are precautions as to how you interact with others no so there's an English um, Sri Lankan cricket match where they're going to fist bump instead of shaking hands as an right. example. Um, yeah. you know, there, what was that government advice? Pat someone on the back rather than shake hands. Right, interesting. And, and we would, and we, we obviously are film commentators. We defer to the other coverage on 2SCR. There has been extensive coverage on how best to approach this issue from a health perspective. It's all anyone's talking about, which is, I think, fair enough. Just going out around in public, I, I hear random strangers talking about it all the time. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, on the subject of films being released, there's a really interesting case right now because there's a couple. <laughs> yes, but the the mo- to me the most interesting is at the end of this month Mulan is supposed to be released. It's March 31st, the worldwide release date, including March, the I release. Think, I think it's in, March 26th. So March 20, sorry, March 26th, 27th, including in China. Where yeah, obviously it is a big market for this particular movie. Yes, well, the the interesting it's thing the about market for this movie Mulan um, is. The movie was really made for China. It's this kind. Of, it's in English, and it has an it has American writer, New Zealand writers, New Zealand director, but it's a kind of multi pronged attack on the global marketplace where the film's been designed for China. There's been reportedly a lot of testing of elements in it to make sure that they appeal to a Chinese audience, and the Chinese government gets on side with it basically. Um, but it as a way of making money and being sold as a blockbuster in the in the world outside of China it's in English and it's associated with the trend of Disney live action remake so it has the recognizable brand for the 90s kids 
it is actually much more of a film designed for China than it is a live action remake. It but reportedly, everyone, people here are going to go see it. I'm yeah, going to go see it. It reportedly has not that much to do with the cartoon at all. It, because it's so strongly being engineered yeah, as a release for China. Mushu is definitely out of this. Yeah, and most of the plot beats from the cartoon won't be in the film. It's definitely a Chinese targeted blockbuster. It just has this, um, because Disney have been doing other live action remakes, it has this kind of, oh, so is that going to be like Mulan? Not really, but you've you've bought your ticket. Yeah, it's been and it's been extensively reported, the impact yeah. of cover gatherings in China, and that the 70,000 theatres there face continuous closure That's right. um, throughout the time of the release. So and this will have a... This will have an, an, the, it's, it's huge. How will people go see a film when yeah. there's nowhere to see it? So they, they can either can't delay, they could delay the release, but then they'll have the same issue that Disney had faced when they released the original Mulan. Uh, Mulan release was delayed for a long time because the Chinese government was unhappy with Disney for funding Martin Scorsese's Kundun, which was about the Dalai Lama. Um, and so I th- wonder if there's some kind of personal um, feeling if we have to make Mulan make money in China. Um, but their fa- face is pirating. Yeah, in the his, event that his, there's a general release exactly outside right. of China, and people that's, are just going to go download it instead of, go, especially if they don't want to go out into the cinemas. That's what happened to the original Mulan in 1999. By the time it was released, the pirated videos with the Chinese Please dubbing or subtitles pirate, by the way. were everywhere in China. So the the um, I, it must feel incredibly annoying for Disney to probably try to write this historical wrong that Mulan couldn't make money in China and then run into the same situation of a delayed release in China again. Um, it feels like it's too late for them to delay the release in the rest of the world yeah. because it's out in a month, and less than a month. it's been advertised and pushed everywhere. And Disney There's are, merch everywhere. Disney are following this day by Toys. day. Certainly they want to get it out there before the summer s- season. Um, it's a $200 million project. Uh, they're expecting it to recoup a large amount of it. There was a significant amount of that from the Chinese box office. So that's a huge issue. The other film that is prospectively going to be impacted is No Time to Die in the new Bond film in the first one in five years. It is supposed to come out around early April. However... Does Bond the, catch, it, catch a disease? Well, no, the, 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 the Bond fan side has, has... They've stopped short of saying delay the release, but they've raised concerns with regards to the impact of coronavirus on the release in box office draws. Certainly there hasn't been a Bond film in five years. There is not a great momentum for the series and there has been speculation more broadly as to whether the series will continue. Obviously, the Bond fans, and myself included, it's my, it is my favourite film series, want to see the series progress continue. This is a big one because it's Craig's last and if it debuts at the wrong time and doesn't get a huge box office draw, there is an increasingly uncertain future for the series. So I understand that rationale. Having said that, I can't see them delaying this or other major releases, given it has been so touted, the merchandise is out there, and at this point, people are not looking at not turning up to the cinemas in droves anyway, as we discussed earlier. I think there's things you just can't control. It's like when The Dark Knight Rises came out, how many people didn't go because they were worried about being killed in the theatre after the... Um attack on the midnight screen yeah i'm certainly not advocating for the no time to die to be pushed back or any other film for that matter i think this film could have a disappointing box office and it'll just mean as usual there's a five-year wait before another bond i think at this point when we're so into franchises there's no way bond is in danger of ending um specter made a lot of money and it wasn't that well received i thought Skyfall was good Um, i was one of i was one of the outliers skyfall made a lot of money i think um executives will if this film fails will just say okay well the coronavirus obviously had a big impact and they'll give it another go i mean if someone new yeah because bond is just yeah bond has just gone through um 
as I said, like production two, hell for years. Yeah, it's 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 always in production hell. So clearly, there's something wrong on the on the production side in terms of being able to just make films quickly that actually are good. They spend a billion years and and make these these overridden, overdone films. Usually, I think. Um, but I think, yeah, if the if Ghostbusters is getting another go after the reboot failed spectacularly, then Bond and was bad, and it was bad. Um, then clearly Bond is going to get another go, um, especially if there's the exterior reason for executives to point to to justify spending money on a new one of the coronavirus. And at the end of the day, they can't just delay. The, they're going to have to cut losses if they have to at some point. They can't just continue delaying releases because otherwise it's going to be a bunch of films have to come out at the same time and they're going to cancel each other out and they're not necessarily going to do as well if they hadn't really, as if they had released them earlier. So they're just going to have to release a lot of these major projects. Uh, yeah, because moving off the subject of Bond, right? How long is the coronavirus lockdown going to go on for? How long? We, I mean, at this point, we don't know for how long non-essential big public gatherings will be banned in China. And China is a huge part of the global box office. Um, it you know, the, the big blockbusters of the year are going to start coming out in May. Is this still going to be happening in June? If Are the Olympics going to be cancelled? You know, if the Olympics are cancelled, then probably theatres will still be closed. Um, as you say, yeah, it's just a huge economic impact. We're, we're just focusing on what we talk about on the show film. But um, the most obvious thing is retail and the supply chain and agriculture even just just yeah. the shipment of of uh parts and materials yes um at the time resources we're, we're recording this on tuesday at the time recording the rba cut the interest rates to the lowest rate ever and the banks westpac combank at the very least have immediately passed on the cut so it's having already having a huge economic impact on australia economic impact on the world certainly the lack of flights that are going between Australia, China, and a number of nations. The fact that there's discussion about travel, changing the travel device for Italy, a nation which there is a, a very strong degree of tourism and commerce with between Australia and the rest of the world. And by the look of how it's going, that could easily happen soon to France. France, France it's yeah. exploding out in France at the moment. Um, think about, I mean, we, we were talking about Khan. But let, let's now think about all the international trade shows and conferences and all the business deals yeah. that won't be done yeah, think of all the, in all the industries of the world. Yeah, the, uh, different. there's a discussion about car parts and manufacturing in China, which is obviously hugely significant for Australia given the extent of imports from China and trade between the two nations. Yeah, um, I reckon the smartphones, um, you know, the, the new PlayStation and Xbox were meant to be out at the end of the year. I feel like that probably won't be happening if if the factories are going to be staying closed. I wonder about the new iPhone launch in September. Um, probably many laptops, phones, electronic devices, TVs will be coming off slower off the production lines. Well, what this potentially means for turning back to cinema for a moment is... Um, there are some online festivals. They aren't very prominent, but we could be looking at going to this model. Certainly people will look to the streaming services potentially more and more or or look to pirate. We obviously do not encourage this, but everyone's going to get Stan and Disney Plus and Netflix rather than potentially going to the cinema. Well, people, that is already the trend, but I wonder if at a moment like this, something like this could put a lot of cinemas into a position they can't recover from. We we certainly hope not. I hope not. We hope not. I'm not. I don't mean to encourage any of this to happen. Yeah, I'm, and we nothing is what I'm talking. Yeah, this is all speculation and just open discussion. Yeah. Um, I want cinemas to live 
long and prosper. Yeah. And we certainly encourage you to keep going to the cinema and to yeah, I'm not stopping. The t- I'm not. Oh, I'm going later tonight. And sorry, um, as of Wednesday when we record right. this. Um, and please do look at the two SCR coverage on this and um, the government who and the health departments who have been releasing advice on the best way to manage this and respond and and talk to and the Guardian have great piece on how to talk to your kids about these issues. So stay safe. Yeah. Um, enjoy movies. Keep enjoying movies. And we'll be back next week and let us know what you want us to fight about. Yeah. Yeah. Have a wonderful night and talk soon. Good night. Bye, guys.